Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast brought to you by Twisted Tea and my bookie. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And it's a Tuesday, so you know what that means. This is a Stephen Lassen Tuesday on the show. Went on a deep, deep dive here with Stephen to take a look back at uh, last weekend in the SEC preview this epic sh- weekend we got upcoming. Could be a uh, separation Saturday 2.0. I think we said that about three times this week, Colin. But th- this really is a big week, and we're going to try to load up with guests all week long starting with our man Stephen Lassen. But, uh, you know, a relatively slow day in the SEC. So uh, I just thought this one clip was fantastic because if you don't know, and I, and I assume if you're listening to this, you know by now, but uh, Kiffin, Jimbo, not the best of friends by any stretch of the imagination. And Lane Kiffin, leave it to Lane on this this big weekend. And don't get it twisted. I mean, LSU, Alabama, Mizzou at Georgia. I mean, these are huge games. But Texas A&M at Ole Miss, I think, is right on par with, with them. And as Lane Kiffin says, hell, this should be a top 10, top 5 team we're playing here, loaded with NFL talent. Uh, uh, what a subtle jab here by Kiffin to start A&M week. In one of the two polls, programs hit top 10 or cracked inside the top 10. Just what does that speak to what you've been able to do, especially with you know setbacks during the season that y'all been able to overcome? Well, I think that's kind of neat. I guess three straight years to be in the top 10, but it doesn't matter to me except for what do you finish. So it's good that it brings attention to the program and – um, to be able to do that, um, especially as you're going against a program that normally you would think would be the team in the top 10 three years in a row with their roster. Um, you know, that says a lot about our players, our coaches, our fans, but though what really matters is where do you finish at the end of the year? Um, you know, so that's our goal, um, you know, to keep getting better, keep winning games. Um, you know, we try to you know, achieve our goals and not let others achieve their goals. I think um, I read where Jimbo said their goal is to be bowl eligible. So if we can get in the way of that, that would be good um, for us too. <laughs> so I, I didn't want to hold that one in my back pocket. It was too good not to share. Just like this interview with Stephen Lassen. Let's kick it over. Senior editor, Athlon Sports. All right. Our good friend Stephen Lassen, senior editor, Athlon Sports, is back for his weekly appearance. How's it going, Stephen? Hey, Mike. It's going great. I appreciate you having me on, as always. I am a little sad because that means November is here, which means <laughs> the college football season is down to its final month. Uh, but I do think we are heading into November with maybe more uncertainty, um, maybe more intrigue nationally and certainly uh within the sec i don't know how you feel about that but it, it kind of felt like in the past it was just sort of set georgia alabama and, and some other matchups doesn't feel as as set this year right now we say that today steven we could be singing a different tune come uh next tuesday but uh hey we'll get there when we get there but before we look ahead to this epic showdown weekend here steven we got the top two in the East, top two in the West, and we've got Ole Miss A&M. I, I think that 
you know, I'm calling it the undercard. I, I think that could be one hell of a game as well. But before we get to there, uh, thought, thoughts on the weekend that was, Stephen? No upsets. Uh, I predicted a couple. I was dead wrong, as per usual. But uh, let's start with Georgia. Mighty Georgia flexing their muscle. No Brock Bowers. No problem against Billy Ball Napier up there. Uh, and it, Florida struck first, but that, that's about the only nice thing I can say about the Gators. Yeah, you know, if you were watching that game, it was sort of a, I guess, kind of a surprise moment. I mean, it was like, hey, Florida went out and scored. Is this actually going to be a game? You know, considering the, the what's happened recently in the series and the spread. But I think what we found out, and I think this is my takeaway from the game, number one, Georgia is starting to round into form. And that's kind of a scary thing to say. Like, they've been great all season, but there's sort of another level that this team can get to. And to beat Florida like they did without Brock Bowers. And, you know, I think just Carson Beck continuing to impress more and more for me every week. You also look at, I think, the two teams. And I think this is something we wanted to see on Saturday was, you know, how would Florida, how would they measure up against Georgia because of the gap the last couple of years? And I think it just, it showed up at the line of scrimmage and it showed up just in terms of depth and Georgia just has wave after wave of talented players. It seems like they can throw at everyone. So I think a scary thing for the rest of college football, it feels like Georgia is starting to sort of find itself as it reaches its toughest part of the schedule. Mm. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, Steven, because I've been known to unleash a hot take or two, and I've got one for the Georgia Bulldogs. Yes, they're rounding in a form. I think in part that's due to Florida being, hell, they weren't even rated, but I, I still think they were overrated heading into Saturday's matchup. I think we we kind of saw who they were on Saturday. But that was the first test that Georgia's going to get in, in this month span, and they, they aced it, no doubt. So I'm not trying to take away anything. But they got Missouri coming to town. We'll get into that game. Ole Miss after that at Tennessee. And I am predicting that they lose one of those, Stephen. And people are giving me grief because I've not said which one. I'll, I'll tell you here in a second. But first of all, what percentage would you give Georgia to lose one of those games? And if there is a, a likely culprit, who do you think it is? That again, this this would be an upset. I understand it, and I'm not asking you to predict it outright, but I'm just saying, which of those three—Missouri at home, Ole Miss at home, at Tennessee—most likely to pull off the upset? I think, in terms of percentages, I would probably say somewhere around ten to fifteen percent, and some of that is sort of baked in because it's really hard in college football to go undefeated. It's it's really hard to go undefeated two years in a row, and it's it's really, really hard to win three national championships in a row. At some point, you're just bound to have a, a bad game. You're bound to have a game where, you know, you turn the ball over a couple times and you can't escape, sort of like Georgia did against Auburn. So I'm sort of baking in the percentages that every team loses once during the regular season. But I'm taking Georgia to go undefeated. But if you want to ask me which game I think they might lose, uh, I, I'm starting to, to to look at that Ole Miss game with a little bit more intrigue because you see the Ole Miss defense the last couple of weeks has kind of started to round into form. Some mm-hmm. of that has been the competition. I also like the way that they've made tweaks offensively, improved offensively, running the ball, offensive line. So that game next week in Athens is going to be really interesting. Yeah, well, that's why we like having you on, Stephen, because you know what you're talking about. That's exactly where I was headed. 
Uh, I think most people thought I'd go with the trip to Tennessee, but I, I think it is that Ole Miss game leading up to the road trip and, and for the reasons you said, very balanced on offense. Ole Miss has gotten some critical players back from injury. Judkins uh, is running harder than we've seen him run all season, and Bentley has emerged. They're, they like to rotate those backs now. And I think that's that killed him last year, late in the season. Um, Judkins got, you know, famously the the Alabama game. He kind of ran out of gas, and maybe that maybe it's just an excuse. But I, I, at Mississippi State, he didn't look the same either. So I think that was true freshman getting worn down by the season, and and wisely they've they've rotated a lot more. So I think that's the one to watch. I, I think Ole Miss can go into Athens, and again, it's it'd be a massive upset. I I think they're going to be. I had to guess, probably like a 13-point underdog, if not more. You know, it's going to be a massive spread, but I don't know. Georgia's not infallible, not not because they whooped Gators, you know. I mean, Kentucky whooped the Gators, too, and, and Kentucky's falling to pieces. So um, I, I'm not ready to crown the Georgia Bulldogs just yet. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I should be careful at overrating one game you know we don't want to overrate georgia versus florida sometimes it's not necessarily the final result it's more of like the parts and the pieces starting to come together for georgia and i and i think if if this is what they're going to do the next three or four weeks when they and when you add brock bowers back into the lineup i mean we don't want to we don't want to hand the national championship trophy out before the games and we'll see what the committee does um, with their ranking. But to me, this has always been the best team on paper uh, throughout the season, even through some of these twists and turns. And I feel like they can only get better uh, from here because we've seen getting healthy on the offensive line, getting healthy a receiver, uh, Milton and Edwards, the one-two punch at running back. Like I, it's like I said, it's kind of scary if you're the rest of the country and not trying to overrate one game, but the parts in the piece can go to that next level and. I think based upon what we saw on Saturday, I think that they're on the track to do so. Now, how about Tennessee going on the road, Stephen, getting their first uh, conference road win? I, I believe their first outright road win of the season. Um, just dominated Kentucky on the line of scrimmage. That was that was where this game was won, but also shouldn't be overlooked after all the grief that Joe Milton has gotten. I'd say the last two games, his best of the season, both of them against conference opponents on the road. So maybe he's getting more comfortable as, a, as a, that starter in Josh Heupel's offense and starting to see receivers emerge. Nimrod had a touchdown. Dante Thornton made his presence felt for the first time uh, this season, really. So what, what was your impressions on uh, Tennessee getting that big win on the road in Lexington? And dare I say some Joe Mentum uh, after the last <laughs> two performances <laughs> uh, uh, by Joe Milton? Yeah, I've I, I was I've been impressed uh, by Joe Milton uh, for the most part against Alabama and against uh, Kentucky on Saturday. You know, the efficiency, not only the efficiency, you know, getting critical uh, downs, first downs by rushing, using him as, as a rusher. The story for me is is kind of where it has been all season for Tennessee. It's been adaptability. You know, Josh Heupel and the staff just keep finding ways to adapt and mold this team. They're not the explosive passing game that they were last season. But, you know, last week it was Dylan Sampson. Don, you mentioned Dante Thornton. He steps up. One week it's Jalen Wright. Milton's been efficient um, last week. The defensive line completely shut down Ray Davis. So I, it's interesting to me that, and it's a credit to Josh Heupel and the staff, that they just keep finding ways 
to to win games and mold this team as the season progresses. It gives you some optimism if you're Tennessee that, hey, you got Georgia coming to your place. Maybe you can make it a little bit more of a game because of Milton's performance than maybe we thought a few weeks ago. Uh, so I think all around a, a really nice win for Tennessee on the road in SEC play against a rival. Yeah, and a lot of defensive players too, like uh, Pierce and uh, Norman Lott, Tyler Barron, Amari Thomas, so, so many that, that they have developed. And they got loads of talent behind them, guys that have, that have yet to step up that, uh, you know, younger players like, like Pierce was. I mean, he didn't make any impact last year, really. Now he's one of the best players uh, in the country off the edge. So I, I think the developmental ability of this coaching staff I think is going overlooked nationally and I, I don't think it should for much longer no you're absolutely right and I think something to to keep keep in mind is when when Josh Heupel was hired one of the questions was how would he recruit in the SEC and how would he be able to build a defense in the SEC especially with the way Tennessee plays offense and I think the results are in I mean, Tennessee, the last couple of years has gotten a lot better on defense. Uh, and like you mentioned, some of the players that they're developing, some of the players that are coming in this system over the next couple of years on defense, a lot of positive signs uh, for Tennessee's growth on defense. And if you if this is as sluggish of a passing game that Tennessee is going to have under Josh Heupel, that bodes very well uh, for this team in the future. And, and, and again, goes to the credit, I think Heupel and this staff deserve for adapting to this year's team while also molding for the future too. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, Steven, so what, what do you make of Kentucky three losses in a row after, you know, a great start five, five in a row. And every time they lose one of these games, I like to point out, well, Mark Stoops is a C coach. That's what the grade says he is. And people don't care for me saying that, but I, I think it is what it is. And, I'm not saying we fire the guy because I'm not saying he's awful. I'm just saying he's not top 10. Like some people have made that ridiculous claim before. What, what do you think is uh, the future in Lexington? Cause I, I mean, I kind I kind of just think they are who they are now and they're, they're going to, they're going to win seven to nine games or seven, seven to eight games every year. But and and that's pretty good. I mean, you could be a lot worse, but I don't think you're going to do a lot better. Uh, what's, what's your overview of the Kentucky program? I think, first of all, some credit to Devin Leary on Saturday night because that was the Devin Leary we thought we would see all year. And so I think credit to Devin Leary, credit to Liam Cohen uh, for getting the passing game on track. Now, if you can just add the rest of things, uh, which is getting Ray Davis on track and, and playing a little bit better defensively, you know, Kentucky can finish this year on a high note. I think there is a be careful what you wish for to some extent when it comes to coaching. I think Mark Stoops has done a great job at Kentucky and I fully acknowledging what the grades say. And uh, I'm a big believer in, in data and analytics, but this is a hard job in the sec and it's only going to get harder when the divisions go away because the, the East scheduling has been kind of easy at times. And certainly if, if there's a nine game conference schedule, it's going to get even harder for some of these teams. So there is an element of be careful what you wish for. And I don't want to sound like I'm just accepting mediocrity here. I think you can also, you can do both of this though. I think you can say like on one hand, you know, we don't want to go back 
but like, what is the next step here? And I think that's the question of, of kind of where I am with, Urban with Meyer. Mark's. Right. <laughs> no, yeah. I heard he was going to, I heard that the, the, the internet told me he was going to be Michigan <laughs> state's next head coach. So, but maybe that's Nick Saban. Um, now I think the question is like, where does Kentucky go from here? And there is a certain, I think ceiling that every team and every program has. Um, so you don't want to go back, but also how do you take that next step? And I think that's the question that Kentucky will have to answer. I think Mark Stoops is a top 25 coach. I know this is probably kind of a roundabout answer, but I think what is the next step is a fair uh, question if you're a Kentucky fan. Although I think he's done a very, very good job considering the past success of this program and where it is on the food chain of the SEC. Well, the way you defend Mark Stoops, can't wait to see what you have to say about old Jimbo. He, big win here, Stephen. 30-17 to 17 over the Gamecocks. Saved A&M season. And, and credit there, you know, I, I joke, but they got down early. 7-0 at 11 a.m. kickoff. I mean, I, I think a mentally weak team, I think they may have caved after two weeks to prepare. But... Uh, Texas A&M made the adjustments and more or less dominated after the, uh, the allowing that opening uh, touchdown by the Gamecocks. What what was your thoughts on A&M saving their season? Yeah, I think as as harsh as I was on Jimbo a few weeks ago, I think going to give him some credit here. Um, <laughs> you know, I think with the, you mentioned the start of the game, it was about as bad as Texas A&M could have started. Uh, but after that, I think we saw that the defensive line for A&M kind of took control of this matchup and especially with being just being able to pressure Spencer Rattler, being able to get him to the ground, the intentional grounding penalties. I mean, Texas A&M's average starting field position in the second quarter was South Carolina's 48 yard line. So they just, once that early kind of surge for South Carolina, A&M's defensive front took over field position, got enough out of the offense. It was good to see Anaya Smith get going. I think he's really one of the under, maybe underutilized uh, weapons in the sec. And I have to. I mean, maybe I need to get my eyes checked. I think A and M went for what, like three times in, in fourth, fourth and one. Who is this? I, I mean, who is this Jimbo Fisher? Was it was it an imposter for Halloween? I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, credit to, credit to him for being a little bit more aggressive because that was uh, that was good to see for A and M and certainly helped them get the win on Saturday. Yeah, and then any quick thoughts because these games were so ugly here. But Auburn beat Mississippi State to take a step towards making a bowl game. And uh, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, anything stand out about those games to you? I think signs of life from Auburn's offense. And some of that is Mississippi State's defense and secondary because it's been a problem all year. But I think if you're an Auburn fan, you're looking for reasons to be optimistic as you go into that final stretch. If the offense can build on that, um, you know, you've got a chance to make some, make some noise in the month of November. And I think for Ole Miss, it was really just about surviving that game and setting up uh, a crucial November. You didn't want to get upset by Vanderbilt. They pretty much took care of business. I know Lane Kiffin was a little frustrated about some of the things maybe in the second half of, of the offense, but they took care of business on Saturday. And like I said, kind of setting up a very important stretch of games here to come in November. Mm-hmm. And anything about Ole Miss Vanderbilt, except how awful Vanderbilt is? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're, you're absolutely, I mean, yeah, Vanderbilt's <laughs> offense, the, the passing game was, was, a uh, was a struggle to, to put it mildly, but you know, this is a, a Vanderbilt program that I think is just maybe last year's five wins was maybe a, kind of ahead of schedule almost. 
And when you look, step back and look at the roster and you look at the youth and what they're trying to do, yeah, it was probably, they probably were too high preseason expectations. So I think for Vanderbilt, it's going to be important down the stretch to see if they can't pick off someone in the SEC, get to one SEC win. And for Ole Miss, I think, you know, kind of a continuation. We've seen their defense over the last couple of weeks trend up. Some of that is competition, um, but they went out there and held uh, Vanderbilt to, to what, to seven points. I mean, that's, that's hard to do. Uh, anywhere and just to be able to do that in the SEC is a good sign for this defense right well Steve we got some epic showdowns this weekend usually I I wait till the end of the show to ask you about this but I I want to just get right to it because uh because of what how how big these games are I mean heck we got CBS doubleheader in this bad boy it's like an NFL Sunday over here but uh let's start with LSU at, at Alabama both of them coming off a bye as is written in SEC law, apparently. they Both these teams got to come off a bye before they face each other. And I saw somewhere, Stephen, that this is the, uh, the, you know, currently Alabama favored by three, three and a half, dep- depending on where you look, I believe. But someone said that was that's, this is the lowest spread in this series since, um, I think, 2008. Alabama's usually a, a much bigger favorite in this ballgame. Uh, thoughts on LSU Alabama in what is not officially the the game that will determine the West because Ole Miss is still alive, but uh, it, it's going to obviously play a huge factor in in deciding who wins the division. Yeah, I think it's it's understating my excitement uh, for this game if I just say I'm looking forward to it because <laughs> I mean it, it is going to be an epic showdown on on Saturday night, and I think one of the things that you know, to go back to our conversation earlier, you know, I think Alabama's had such a, you know, the last, I think, four between these two are, are it's it's split two and two. But before then, you, it was hard to envision LSU just going into Tuscaloosa and winning this game outside of having Joe Burrow at quarterback, of course. But this time it really feels like, hey, LSU's really got a shot despite being the underdog. And I know I'm sort of just understating it here, but there's a for me and just how these two teams are matching up. You know, Jaden Daniels in the mix to win the Heisman Trophy. Um, can he go into Tuscaloosa? Can he carry his team to a victory? LSU defensively, this team has played better the last couple of weeks. How much of that is the competition? How much of that is actual improvement? And for Alabama, it's the, I mean, we're here in Halloween. It's the Michael Myers of the SEC. I mean, they just keep finding ways to keep coming back and, and win games. So, I know those are a few big picture thoughts, but I really think, and and I know we talked to Ole Miss Georgia, but it feels like the winner of this game is probably going to end up on in, in in Atlanta to play for the SEC championship. Are you buying the improvements LSU's made on the defensive side of the ball the last two times we've seen them? Uh, they played Auburn, which is awful, at least on offense, and Army, which completely overmatched. So, uh, I, I mean, I'm kind of setting you up for, for an answer here, I guess. But with two weeks to prepare, and then we also got to throw into the mix Makai Wingo, freshman All-American. He's he's out. He's going to be out for several weeks, they announced uh, just this week. And then they got three corners unavailable, and they got the worst secondary maybe in the SEC. So uh, I throw that all your way. Are, are you buying into LSU making strides on, on that side of the ball? Maybe some improvement, but it's also wait and see. And I know that's a really bad answer because some of it, my optimism about this defense was sort of stonewalled when you're talking about losing um, Zy Alexander, 
Mikai Wingo's not going to play. I know Deuce Chestnut and Denver Harris have not necessarily been the biggest factor in their secondary. But if you count Alexander Harris and Chestnut, that is three of their four top cornerbacks by snap counts, according to Pro Football Focus. And I know the the picture on that's a little cloudy because you count in nickels and safety and, and you can line them up differently. But that's still, that's three contributors they're not going to have against an Alabama passing game. That specialty has been hitting uh, big plays. So I, I go back to something that Brian Kelly said a few weeks ago when they brought in Pete Jenkins. It was about improving the defensive front. And we know Alabama has question marks on the offensive line. Can Mason Smith and this defensive line create some havoc? Can they keep Jalen Milrow in the pocket? Those are going to be questions that I'm watching for early. I think if I'm out, if I'm LSU, you got to bend, but don't break here. You don't want to give up the big passing plays to Jalen Milrow. You can have all the five, six yard gains that you want. You can take 10 play drives. I don't want the four plays uh, for 80 yard touchdown drives like we saw against uh, Tennessee a few weeks ago. Would you would you buy this, Stephen? If if LSU knocks off Alabama in Tuscaloosa, I you know I assume Jay Daniels would have to have a epic performance for that to happen. If LSU does that, does that cement Jay Daniels as a Heisman winner, or are you not ready to go quite that far? Not ready to go there yet. I think if you looked at some of the odds. I think he's like third or fourth at some sports books uh, going into this week, which is, I mean, he's right there. You know, he's right there on the, uh, you know, the front stretch to, to be, to win the Heisman trophy, Michael Penix, the quarterback from Washington and JJ McCarthy are probably your two other favorites. And I think that sort of underscores though, it really is wide open. I, I mean, I think there's not, there's not an obvious candidate that should be number one, because I think it's still so wide open. There's so many key games this season so i think maybe the case here is if lsu goes into alabama and wins it's probably because Jaden daniels had a huge game kind of like you mentioned which may vault him up into that number one position by this time next week because michigan gets purdue and uh, washington plays usc's very suspect uh uh defense there and i think if lsu wins this game i think they're winning out so certainly it only increases his odds if he plays well and wins on on Saturday and fully acknowledging this is an, an award that usually goes to quarterbacks and very productive quarterbacks and highly ranked teams. Yeah, and I mean, Jane Daniels, he's obviously going to be getting so much attention for, for good reason. He's outstanding and he's the quarterback, but they got Malik Neighbors, they got Brian Thomas, they've got um, the tight end is, is outstanding, uh, Mason Taylor. But are the are any of those guys? I mean, who's the X factor? Is it one of those guys, or is it a little curveball here for you? Diggs, the running back, he he's been paramount to getting the whole operation going. If aside from Jane Daniels, because I think that's an obvious one. If if LSU wins this game and and one and someone has to step up and and kind of have have a couple big moments, maybe a couple touchdowns. Who who do you think that is? Do you think it's one of the receivers, or do you think it's Logan Diggs? I think it's Diggs. Um, I, you know, I really like the way he's been producing for LSU, you know, kind of basically since he got into that n- number one role uh, for this offense. And I think, you know, I, I hate to use Jaden Daniels here too, but 10 to 15 rushes a game, it really feels like his mobility could be the X factor here. So I'm with you on Diggs. I'll also throw out this 
What about LSU's offensive line? Because I think that could be the X factor here. If LSU's offensive line keeps Dallas Turner and the edge rushers away from Jaden Daniels, and he's either got time to throw or he's got rushing lanes that he can pick up critical first downs. You know, this group has made improvements from last season. The metrics bear that out. I mean, this that could be the X factor on Saturday night, trying to keep Dallas Turner and those edge rushers away from Jaden Daniels. Now let's flip it over to the other side, Steven. I mean, Jalen Milrow, he's he's going to be looked at by anyone that's not a diehard Alabama fan as the second best quarterback in this matchup. But let's say Alabama wins and wins convincingly, and he has got a big game. Um, is, would that – I mean, this would have been crazy to say a month, month and a half ago, but would that insert Jalen Milrow, not not as the favorite or anything, but would that insert him into the, the Heisman conversation? Absolutely. I think, number one, it's the it's the improvement that he's made throughout the course of the season. I think he looks just looks more confident. He looks more comfortable. I think he's been better in the passing game as the season goes along. That dynamic uh, rushing ability, too, is still there. And this might be a game where Alabama needs to run him 5-10, maybe even more, uh, to win on Saturday. So I think... You know, I go back to like the, the highly ranked teams and starting quarterbacks are always going to be valued in the Heisman voting. So if Milrow wins this game, Alabama being a top 10 team and potentially more by later in the season will help him. But also, I think his improvement is also a big reason why they, they could end up being um, SEC West champion. And if they beat Georgia, that's if they end up playing Georgia, if they get there, uh, that would be another huge mark in his favor. So I, I think. He's not necessarily in the the front pack, but he's sort of one of those dark horse contenders if you start thinking who could be there in New York at the end of the year. Well, I'm glad you referenced uh, LSU's offensive line because I wanted to ask you about Bama's. If if Alabama's offensive line is the better unit in this game uh, of the offensive lines, is it a guarantee that uh, Alabama wins this game? I think so. Because I think, number one, that means that Milrow's got plenty of time to throw. The rush, the different looks that LSU could throw at him. He doesn't have the interceptions that we saw against Texas. And also it would mean that Chase McClellan and those running backs had a good day. Because we, we've seen at times that their running game seems to be finding itself. We just haven't seen it over, I think, you know, kind of a full... Uh, stretch maybe outside of some, you know, one of the the kind of one-sided matchups that they have. So here in a high-profile spot, can they do that? And, and I think if Alabama's offensive line is winning throughout the game and they outplay LSU, uh, then I think that means Alabama takes home the victory on Saturday. Who, who do you think has uh, wins the matchup? LSU, all those weapons I referenced, particularly on the outside, or Alabama secondary? You know, each side's going to win their fair share, but w- which which uh, do you think has the better game on Saturday night in Tuscaloosa, Bama secondary or LSU's receivers? And uh, let's throw Mason Taylor in there as well. I'm probably leaning LSU's receivers here because I go back to the Texas game and, and Alabama has improved defensively since that game. But I think Texas showed if you can give your quarterbacks some time to throw, there are plays to be made downfield. Xavier Worthy from Texas had a good game when they matched up in September. And now LSU is coming out here with Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas. You mentioned uh, the tight end, some other weapons too uh, for LSU. I, I think they contest the secondary 
for Alabama. So I, I like LSU's receivers to win some battles. I think, you know, for both secondaries here, I think because of the receiving talent, you know, I think limiting big plays is going to be something that's crucial. You know, we talked about it with Alabama. It's the same thing when Alabama's on on defense too. You know, if you can keep Malik Neighbors from having a 40-yard touchdown, I mean, those, there's been games where those guys are wide open. So you, you have to kind of, I think, limit the big plays and sort of also contest some of their catches, make it hard on them uh, on Saturday. So I think for both sides, secondary is going to be one of the areas that we're watching uh, from the opening snap. Mm-hmm. Now, how about the big showdown in the East, even Missouri at Georgia. Georgia's a big favorite, over a two-touchdown favorite at home. Just had the big win in Jacksonville. Everybody's back on a bandwagon. But Mizzou's had two weeks to prepare. And I would argue, Stephen, that the, you know, the, the advantage of motivation, not just SEC fa- – I mean, hell, I see it every day, Stephen. Why the hell you believe in Missouri? They, they're a bunch of jokers. They've not played anybody. They – Blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's it's wild. We're in November, Stephen. It ain't played nobody. It's still alive and well in the SEC. But uh, that doesn't mean Missouri is going to dominate or anything. But, you know, I think that gives them a little bit of an edge this week. They're a tough, tough physical team. I mean, they they went toe-to-toe with Georgia last year, and I think they're better than last year. And I, I don't think Georgia's as good. So take that for what it's worth. But uh, thoughts on this big, big matchup in Athens? I think one of the reasons to believe if if you think Missouri gives Georgia a game, I think some of it goes to they simply have nothing to lose. T- to your point, who's going to pick Missouri to win this game? I mean, certainly probably not anybody in the national media. I think people around the SEC, I think certainly have a little bit more uh, faith in Missouri or at least a understanding of how good they are. But they're going to be disrespected all week, just like they have been all season. Nobody's going to believe in them to go into Athens and, and win on Saturday. So I, I think if I'm Eli Drinkowitz, I'm just playing up the disrespect card. You know, Georgia's great. No one believes in us. We can go down there and play. And I think if you want to make a path to to a, a win by Missouri, you know, I think, first of all, you're probably going to have to have some good fortune in this game. You're probably going to have to have a couple takeaways. I think looking at what Auburn and South Carolina was able to do very um there's some quarterback driven plays in there it was Spencer Rattler throwing early and it was the legs of Peyton Thorne so I think this is the kind of game that Brady Cook his mobility could be a factor I want to find ways to get Luther Burden involved downfield or taking snaps however you have to find 15 to 20 ways to get him the ball uh you've got to do it so I think the disrespect card works in Missouri's favor it's still going to be difficult to go into Athens and win, uh, but that's one angle I would play if if I was Eli Drinkowitz. Yeah. Now, on the other side, Stephen, I mean, I think it's fair to say this is Missouri's first big matchup in a national spotlight. I don't think any of these players have, have ever experienced that, not to this degree, whereas everybody's on Georgia's rosters, but at least the guys that have been there, I mean, clearly they, they've got uh, more big game experience than anybody in the country. So uh, I think experience wise and handling the moment, Georgia will have a massive advantage, which is uh, uh, not, not second only to their home field advantage is also going to be uh, anytime you get a, a team of this caliber that's hot coming into Athens, them dogs like to, 
send people, you know, reality checked, a hard lesson learned for a lot of teams. So that's going to be a factor as well. Uh, but Carson Beck, red hot. I don't know. I, I that's that's the biggest worry for me in this matchup, Stephen, because we're a lot of people looking at Missouri's offense, and I'm not even confident they can have a a, a great day on this Georgia defense. But I'm fairly confident that Georgia's offense, with even without Brock Bowers, uh, should should be able to engineer quite a few points on this Missouri defense. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think first of all, um, on your point about Georgia being just another game. I was when I was uh, kind of thinking about this matchup. I was reminded of that time where Arkansas went to Athens and like was it 2021? And it was Arkansas had some momentum and Georgia just basically flexed on the opening snap and it was over. You know, yep. three three drives into the game. So I think if you're Missouri, you have to sort of weather that early storm because the crowd's going to be uh, you know into rolling right now. So weathering that early storm and the disrespect card are two things that. Missouri can can certainly use in its favor. I think to your point on um, Georgia offensively, you know we saw this in the game on Saturday. Lad McConkey catches a big play. Dominic Lovett's been more involved. Oscar Delt makes a key catch. Not only that, it's it's Edwards and Milton running hard. Uh, the offensive line coming into form here. This is a really hard matchup and difficult one for Missouri's defense. This is a very good defense. Georgia's offense is is just on another level. I do think one area where if you're Missouri, you could maybe point to it, and and maybe it's two. The pass rush this year has been good, so can you create some havoc at the line of scrimmage, get in Carson Beck's face, maybe create a takeaway or two. Also, they've only allowed two plays of 40-plus yards this season, so not allowing big plays, forcing Georgia to go the length of the field, creating some pressure, that's how I would sort of start to formulate a potential path for an upset um a, a very low possession game where georgia's not having you know carson beck throwing for uh 400 yards or something would would sort of be my preferred path if i'm missouri hmm. now how about uh a&m old miss steven i i think a lot of people are overlooking this one i think this could be one heck of a showdown it, it has been in you know recent years the dj durkin factor course lane kiffin jimbo fisher factor so so many here but uh you know we we've kind of already referenced it talking old miss i think i think key to the whole thing is their running game and what is a&m best at it's you know their front seven and uh if a&m can win that battle which i'm not saying they will but if they do i think there's a realistic chance they go into oxford and, and pull off an upset um, and the spread kind of indicates that, you know, that Vegas believes that as well. Uh, thoughts on this matchup? You know, the first thing that jumps out to me is in the series history that four of the last six have been decided by one score. So to your point, it is the undercard on, on Saturday, but this one has produced some close games. And I don't, I think judging by the, the comments sometimes and sort of the body language from some of the coaches here, there's not a whole lot of love. Uh, maybe between these two head coaches or maybe some of the staff members. But so that that's another area of entry. I think what's what's fascinating though is the battle with the line of scrimmage. You know, you mentioned AM's defensive front and how good they've been at getting to the quarterback, stopping the run. Tennessee ran on them though. You know, if you're Ole Miss, can you replicate some of that? Quinshot Judkins has been over three uh, over a hundred yards in three out of his last four games. 
So I, I'm curious to see how that Ole Miss rushing attack uh, with Judkins and Bentley, how do they match up against A&M's defense? And then if A&M slows down the rushing attack, what does Jackson Dart and those receivers do to counter that? And, the, and those guys getting healthy at receiver for Ole Miss is huge because they've had people banged up all season. If they can get everybody out there, um, that makes this team even more dangerous down the stretch. I think on the other side of things, and I know Ole Miss hasn't necessarily played the toughest schedule the last few weeks, beating um, Auburn and, and Vanderbilt, but it does feel like the defense is taking a step forward, and they are also good at getting pressure to 30 sacks this season. So I think to you know, as much as we're going to focus on A&M's defense versus the Ole Miss offensive line, I think the same thing could be said for the Ole Miss team. You know, if you can get pressure with Cedric Johnson and, and Jared Ivey, the way they got after Vanderbilt on Saturday, um, we saw what South Carolina, some of the early pressure they were able to get on Max Johnson. Um, maybe Ole Miss can have the same kind of disruptive ability in, in that game too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad you, you talk about the Ole Miss defense because, um, I may have this stat wrong, but I, I'm I'm pulling it from memory here, which is why I think I got it wrong. But uh, leading up to to the Vanderbilt game, they had held Auburn and Arkansas to under 300 yards each the last two weeks, and I think that was the first time since like 2008, 2009 that Ole Miss has had held two consecutive SEC opponents to under 300 yards. And they did it like the same thing they did it with Vanderbilt. Now, that's impressive. I'm not trying to take away from it. But at the same time, it's Vanderbilt, it was Arkansas, and Auburn. And, and those are, you can make the case, those and maybe throw South Carolina in there, the four worst offenses in the SEC and particularly offensive lines. So, again, are, are, you, are you buying the progress of, of Ole Miss defense or is it? Or is it more of a product of who they've played? I think there's some truth in both. And I hate to like give you like a sort of middle of the road answer, but I do think that this group, now that you've had eight games to get comfortable under Pete Golding and the transfers are fully, they fully figured out who their best lineup is and what they do well. I think that there is some improvement here, um, but also some of it is the schedule. I mean, Auburn, like you said, Auburn, Arkansas and, and Vanderbilt, are three of the bottom offenses in the SEC. Now, the flip side of that would be you're doing something right. I always think if you shut out a team or you hold them, you know, to a minimal yardage, it's it's still it's still hard to play good defense sometimes in this era of college football. So we have to give them uh, some credit there. I, you know, another angle to this game is what about A and M's road struggles? Is that you know does that should come into play here too? Because we, I mean, I think Oxford will be ready for this game. Yeah. So. Having said that, though, Stephen, are you prepared to make a public apology next week if A and M wins this game? Are you are you, go, are you ready to apologize to Jimbo? Yes, I will apologize. <laughs> to, it will be a it will be a temporary apology uh, to Jimbo because they will get Mississippi State and Abilene Christian before playing LSU. So yes, go on the road and win this game, Jimbo. Well, if they win it, though, I mean, and I, I realize it's, 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 they're the under underdog. You, you said it. I mean, hell, they, they haven't won a road game in, <laughs> in forever. But if they do win it, what, what's your confidence level that, um, I don't know, that, 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 I mean, at LSU, that's going to be tough, too. So, but if they win it, are they, would you guarantee that they're going to finish eight and four? I mean, is that, 
Is that bold? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I'll take them to finish. If they win Saturday, I think eight and four is very realistic because, you know, Abilene Christian should be a win and Mississippi State should be a win based upon um, how, you know, Mississippi State's played this year. LSU would be the tough one on the road, but, mm-hmm. I, you know, and, I mean, AM stunned LSU last season. So, I, you know, I guess we can't write in a victory here on any of them, but I guess to, to answer you to, to your question, I would say if, if A&M wins on Saturday, it feels like 8-4 and four is their probably best-case scenario. Yeah. Let's take a little break from the show to remind you all that we are brought to you by MyBookie. Head on over to MyBookie.ag today and sign up with that promo code that S-E-C-T-H-A-T-S-E-C over at MyBookie.ag today, and they are willing to give you what's called the 200 cash bonus $200, no strings attached. If you sign up for a new account over at mybookie.ag today with that promo code, that SEC, fade our picks. Hell, you, you may not want to fade Cousin Shane anymore, as we call him the professor. He's already got a line on, on the game he loves this weekend in the SEC. But the professor's 2-0. and he's, he's hot as Georgia right now. So <laughs> no, don't fade. Fade Cousin Shane. But roll with the professor. Can't wait to see who his my bookie lock of the week is this week. I'm also on a little streak of my own. So head on over to my bookie today. Use that promo code that SEC for $200 cash bonus and wager with us this weekend. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before it's made with real brewed tea and picks a flavorful punch five percent alcohol and no carbonation delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion no need to settle for the usual twisted tea turns up any occasion especially when you're cheering on your favorite sec team twisted tea the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football keep it twisted podcast is also brought to you by GameTime. Head on over to GameTime.co and use promo code THATSEC for $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. GameTime is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. GameTime is the place for the last-minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co. Snag tickets without the stress. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code THATSEC for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem THATSEC for 20 bucks off. Download the GameTime app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. All right, how about uh, Kentucky at Mississippi State, Stephen? Uh, Kentucky favorites, but slightly. This is a who-needs-it-more game, and they both need it pretty bad. Uh, thoughts on this matchup? You know, if, you, you know, if you're like me and you're big into looking at, reminding yourself of the series history sometimes between these two, it's like the home team usually wins. It's like it's funny how it's alternated between Lexington, Starkville, and the wins uh, for each team. Uh, the the last six winners in this series though have won it by ten or more points, so it really hasn't been close, and it's gone to the the home team. 
But I think the storyline for me in this game is just desperation. It is desperation for both teams, be, and, and probably more so for Mississippi State. You know, I think when, especially you get a team at home late in the season, you have Southern Miss coming up. You still have to play the Egg Bowl. You still have to play A and M. The path to six victories can get pretty narrow here if you don't pick off one of these games. If you're Mississippi State, so uh, I think must win for both. A lot of intrigue for me on the quarterback front for both teams. I want to see Devin Leary. Can he replicate what he did against Tennessee? And on the other side of things, does does Mississippi State get Woody Marks back? Do they get Will Rogers back? Um, can they get anything going in the passing game? Because they couldn't do it against Auburn last week. So I think a lot of intrigue for me in just a game where I, I expect there to be a lot of desperation, to, to your point, by both teams. Yeah, and uh, I looked it up while you were talking there. I mean, obviously these two, at least for the time being, they play annually. That's coming to an end here soon. But Kentucky's not won in Starkville since 2006. So, I mean, I I, I never know what to make of stats like that because it's irrelevant. I, I get it to this year. But sometimes, you know, the stats like that are there for a reason. Fluky things happen when those cowbells are ringing. You know what? I was going to say, yeah, this is a tough home field advantage, um, you know, for for Mississippi State, especially in a toss up game like this to get Kentucky at your place uh, with the cowbells and everything. I think this is going to be a night game, too, uh, if I'm remembering the schedule correctly for Mississippi State. So great home field advantage in a tough spot Uh, that that's a check in, in Mississippi State's favor should note offensively. Mississippi State has scored 17 uh, or fewer points in four of its five SEC games. So really need uh, the offense to get on track to have a a chance at the victory against Kentucky. Well, you could say something similar, Stephen, for Arkansas. All the road at Florida. I I was surprised when this line opened under a touchdown. It may may have moved since the opening. But, uh, you know, Florida coming off a tough loss. Maybe got humbled a little bit, but they are – a different team at home, whereas Arkansas two weeks to prepare. Dan Enos won't be there, which is a plus for them Razorbacks. Uh, Catching up on, on those emails, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> thoughts on this matchup? I think the same thing that we said about Mississippi State and Kentucky could probably apply here. It's desperation for both teams. I know – Coaches and players probably don't look at the schedule like you and I do to some extent, but if you're Florida and you're looking at, hey, we still got to play Missouri, we still got to play LSU, and we still got to play Florida State, this is probably the easiest and most gettable game remaining to get to six, which means you get to a bowl game. So I think the the desperation factor for Florida getting a struggling Arkansas team at your place, um, I think that's one of the reasons why I like Florida, uh, obviously, to, to win this game. But I think on the other side of things, I think for Arkansas, I'm curious offensively, what can they do in two weeks to help spark this group? Um, you know, Sam Pittman has talked a lot about trimming down the playbook. You know, I think by 30, 35 percent, it sounds like they're going to to cut down on. You know, there's there's only so much that a new offensive coordinator taking over with four games left in the season with a struggling offensive line can do. So I, I'm just looking for Arkansas like energy. You know, they looked flat offensively against Mississippi State. Is there a new energy? Do they use some tempo? You know, what kind of spark does does Arkansas have offensively? I think that's the storyline for me uh, for the Razorbacks on Saturday. 
Yeah, and it sounds like Rocket Sanders is going to at least attempt to uh, to practice this week and hopefully play. I think that's a great sign because uh, obviously we know how talented he is, but some people had speculated that he was kind of shutting it down and going to the NFL, and that could tend to happen when when a coach is on the outs. But this is a team that that's still fighting for their coach and. Uh, uh, obviously, last week was embarrassing, or yeah, two weeks ago, too embarrassing to Mississippi State. But prior to that, took Alabama to the wire, LSU to the wire, um, and I, I can't think of the other. But hell, everyone Ole Miss, Ole, Ole Miss down to yeah. the wire. You know what I mean? Like this, this was not some garbage team, even though the record indicates that. You know what? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and I think that gets two, two things get lost, I think, in, in Arkansas, the, the record that it has. I think, number one, the defense is a lot better this year. I think that's sort of lost in how bad they've been offensively. Their defense is on the right track. The second thing is their record, you know, you are what your record is. I mean, they are, you know, two and six. But at the same time, they haven't quit on Sam Pittman. It's, it's a totally different story if they're getting blown out each week. But if you're taking, you know, LSU in Alabama, to the wire and same thing uh you know with Ole Miss going on the road and pushing them you know that tells me something about the fight that this team has and that and that's why I'm I'm curious to see what they look like on Saturday because I think before the season this was a game that a lot of people probably circled saying this is a game Arkansas could go on the road and win so if if you can get Rocket Sanders back maybe some new energy on offense you get KJ Jefferson going you know this that makes this game a way more interesting for me and to see if Arkansas can go on the road and, and win and would be a pretty big setback uh, for Florida if they did, because they've been a better team at home. Uh, if you look at home defensive stats this year, Florida leads the SEC and fewest points per game allowed in home games this year. So, mm, Well, that could very well c- continue considering they're playing Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me ask you one final thing on this one, Stephen. Um, I believe Florida is the youngest team in the SEC based on percentage of starts uh, by freshmen. So um, that, they, now that's not across the board, of course. I mean, there's quarterbacks probably started like 60 games or something crazy like that. So they're not young everywhere. But you get w- with a young team, and they're playing a lot of sophomores too because this is obviously Billy Napier you know, trying to make over his roster. But you get you can get a lot of inconsistencies with a team like this. And and I think that's fair to say we that's the case with Florida. I mean, Utah was a disaster. Kentucky was a disaster. Tennessee was perfect. South Carolina at times perfect. You know what I mean? Like so you, you're going to get that up and down. And coming off a tough loss to your chief rival, I think it's safe to assume most people are going to be picking Florida at home to win this game. But that doesn't guarantee you anything. So if they struggle, if they lose, I, I get let's maybe not go that negative. But it, you know, w- what's the percentage that they struggle in this because they are such a young team and and because of those inconsistencies can happen coming off a tough loss. Um, I, I think that's in part why the spread is uh, the way it is. I, I think people can kind of see that potentially happening. Yeah, and it goes to Arkansas as well because of how competitive they've been in those games we talked about. So, I mean, it's one of those things where you can look at the record, but you can also take a, a deeper look under the hood and you see Arkansas probably probably not as bad as its record indicates. And if some of these changes spark Arkansas a little bit, um, 
it's easy for me to see why you could make a case for Arkansas to go into Gainesville and keep this one close. I, I expect it to be pretty competitive. I think to your point, you know, Florida has been a little bit all over the map this season, but I think at home, they're clear, clearly a better team. I think in general, I think it's, it's an important game for Florida to get this one for this. Like we mentioned the schedule, because it, I, I don't know that they'll, they may win another game outside of this, but I don't know if I'd want to risk it because then you start getting into territory where if you finish five and seven, you sort of lose some of that progress that you've made uh, this season. So I think it's an important game for Napier and the staff to really get this one to be able to go to a bowl game. And you can keep talking about progress all offseason. Mm-hmm. And then uh, final SEC matchup here, Auburn at Vanderbilt. Uh, what will you be having your eye on this? Auburn's a big favorite on the road. Technically, I mean, I, there'll probably be more Auburn fans than, than Vanderbilt fans, sadly. But uh, what what we have your eye on here? I mean, I I, I got to imagine consistency, particularly on the offensive side for Auburn. Uh, we'd we'd like to see that continue because the next three, including this one, are very winnable. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's the the story for me about Auburn going into the month of November is you know three winnable games, and then the big one. And against Alabama at the end of the season, which they could make more interesting if they look better these next few weeks. And so I think last week was a step forward for this offense. Some of that was Mississippi State. Some of that might be Auburn's offense too. Peyton Thorne looked probably as comfortable as he has all season. Also, I like the fact that Jarquez Hunter is is getting more involved or more productive, however you want to word it, the last two weeks. Um, he's been more productive for this offense. And I think that's a key uh, for this Auburn team to get him going more consistency in the passing game and on offense, because these next three games are winnable and it's, and it'd be important for this staff to get to a bowl game this year and sort of build some momentum as we go into the off season. Uh, now in the non-conference, Steven, UConn at Tennessee, Tennessee is a huge favorite. So, we don't got to spend much time breaking this down, but any insight you could provide on them Huskies? I don't know if you've seen it, Stephen, but this is a little troll job here. We, they will be honoring Pat Summon, uh, legendary women's basketball coach, because of her battles with UConn. I just think that's hilarious. But uh, uh, <laughs> that is perfect. Yeah, I w- first of all, I would say UConn's probably one of the ten to fifteen worst teams in college football. I've got them at number. 128 in my uh, 133 rankings. So they have really struggled this year. If you want to impress your friends, you want to, if they may say, well, who's leading the team in, in rushing touchdowns? It's actually a defensive lineman. He's got six. Uh, <laughs> Jelani Stafford, uh, they use him around the goal line. It's it's almost like JJ Pegues. We, we need to get JJ yeah. <laughs> a touchdown because he was close uh, on Saturday. But yeah, they, they are one of the, the worst teams in the country. They're struggling offensively. I don't know if their defense is is that bad. I think their offense is just struggling that much. Um, if you're looking, since we're in the Halloween uh, mode here, uh, Jim Mora, who's the head coach at UConn, he was previously the head coach at UCLA. There was a feature on him on game day, I think a year ago, about his house being haunted in Connecticut. So if you're looking for extra <laughs> Halloween content, there you go. <laughs> Sounds like a Nico game to me. All right, how about, uh, and then the yes. last one, Jacksonville State at South Carolina. Um, and Stephen, as I understand it, I, I don't really know. I, I don't study Jacksonville state, but I, I, they're pretty good. I think they're seven and two. And I have seen a lot of people on my timeline, Stephen. Now, 
lot of people that follow me, they hate Beamer and all this, so maybe they're just trolling, but they're basically saying, hey, watch out for the outright upset. Would that, would that just be insanity or uh, the way South Carolina's playing? Could I mean, is it unfathomable for, for South Carolina to lose this game? What's your thoughts? It's not crazy, but I would be surprised. Um, I think just to go back to something that you and I have talked about, which is, you know, Shane Beamer usually seems to hit the right buttons in the month of November with this team. And they, they are battling a lot of injuries, especially offensive line and receiver. So being shorthanded at, at this game is not, you know, I, I think I would rather be playing UConn, honestly, uh, than Jacksonville State. But you know, I think just in, in terms of where this team is, um, you know, ESPN's got them rated 88th in their ESPN SP plus they are seven and two. This is their first year at the FBS level. I think depth is something to watch out here for. I think South Carolina, just a deeper roster. It seems like Jacksonville state, um, you know, they're not as deep on both sides of the ball compared to South Carolina. Rich Rodriguez is their head coach. So basically they love to run it. They're not as, they're not great at throwing it. Uh, Zion Webb is, is their quarterback. He'd be, you know, dynamic with the ball in his hands. They use a lot of different rushers. Defensively, they've got a pretty interesting um, defense. Zach Alley is their defensive coordinator, and he might be a name down the road in terms of SEC, you know, guys who move up to the SEC in a few years. He's a name I would keep an eye on as far as um, defensive coordinators go because his defense is leading Conference USA. They're pretty aggressive. They're good at getting to the quarterback, and they've been good in some of their uh, matchups against better teams this year. So, it's a, it's one of those games where South Carolina should take care of business, but also Jacksonville State has enough there to where they could make it interesting if if there's if South Carolina is not interested or they have a couple mistakes early, or forget to block for the quarterback. That's a big one. Yeah, uh, Jacksonville <laughs> State six uh, sixth in the nation with sixty six tackles for a loss. They are very good mm. at getting to the quarterback and creating some havoc. So something to watch if you're. Um, South Carolina. Frankly, I think if I was South Carolina, I would just simply want to get ahead on the scoreboard and force them to throw the ball a little bit more because that's where they uh, they are not as efficient this year. Yeah, uh, I wanted to ask you real quick, Stephen, about uh, Oklahoma. They're they're playing Oklahoma State rivalry. It's it's weird that the why are they not playing rivalry weekend? I don't know. Maybe you can answer that. But uh, uh, <laughs> they lost to Kansas on the road. That was a tough tough loss. But I'm still a believer in the Sooners, Stephen. I, it's wild how many people were were just aghast that I've not just abandoned them, even though hell, everybody in the SEC outside of Georgia has also lost a game here. So uh, I, I still think Oklahoma's, uh, you know, everything's still in front of them. They can still win the conference and maybe even get to the playoff. I don't know, but I'm not giving up on this team. What, what's your read on them uh, here? Definitely. Lately, this- yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I definitely not um I've given up on Oklahoma. Uh I, I think certainly they did not play their best game on Saturday at Kansas. That is a very capable Kansas team, especially in Lawrence. So, you know, th- this gets back at the the storyline that we talk about with Georgia and how hard it is to go undefeated. You know, you you go on the road and this is the last year that Oklahoma is in the conference. They're going to get the best shot by Kansas. They're going to get the best shot uh, on Saturday against Oklahoma State. So I think you know there are some things that Oklahoma is going to have to improve upon. They have not played as well defensively. 
uh, since the start of the Texas game and some things offensively they're going to have to work out, especially with a run game. But this rivalry between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, unfortunately, is probably going to be a casualty of realignment because they're not scheduled to play indefinitely. And who knows at this point when they'll have another game. But at the same time, though, that also adds to the intrigue here, which is your Oklahoma State and you're getting Oklahoma at your place. And this might be the last time that you play for 10 years. So this is a dangerous spot uh, for Oklahoma uh, to go into, albeit a series that they have dominated. And that that uh, I think that continues on Saturday, but this will be tough going into Stillwater. And how about Texas? They, they just crushed BYU, BYU that beat Arkansas. All in Fayetteville this year, so we we know that's a quality team, uh, and they they had to do it with uh, I believe his name's Malik Murphy, the backup quarterback. How, how'd he look, and and how's Texas looking? Yeah, really solid debut for him. Um, I think you know you Sarkeesian did a nice job of kind of getting him into the game plan, and I think they brought him along exactly what they needed to do to get him some experience because this Kansas State team this week is a significantly different, uh, difficult challenge compared to to BYU. I think Kansas State might be a trendy upset pick this week because of the back quarterback starting for Texas and Murphy. You also have the way Kansas State has played the last few weeks. I still think Texas at home, defense and Murphy, I think, played well enough and another week to get ready. I think Texas is still going to win here, but I wouldn't be surprised to see K-State be pretty trendy upset pick in in the media picks this week. Mm -hmm. Now, I wanted to throw this your way, Stephen. Uh, just go with me. I know you don't like to make bold proclamations or anything like that. And oh, maybe I should have went back. I, I apologize. Let's go back real quick to these games because I because you said it was all right to do this. So I'm going. I'm just going to do this forever now, as long as I can remember. Can't remember anything these days. But uh, of the, of all those SEC games that we just went down, are there any that you are confident in in or? At, you don't even have to pick the winners if you're not ready, but if you're like heavy leaning one way or another, that you know who's going to win this weekend in the SEC. Uh, are are there any that games that stand out to you? I think Auburn and Georgia would probably be the two that I'm most confident in. I can hear all the all the Missouri fans who are really happy with us a few weeks ago starting to, to turn off the podcast now. Uh, but no, I, I think it's a tough lift. Uh, for Missouri to to go in there and win. But I think Auburn, Georgia, obviously pretty confident in Tennessee. I think I'll, I'll be pretty confident in South Carolina. Um, and I think if you had to get into that next tier of picks, Ole Miss, Florida uh, would probably be my other picks in those games. And then LSU, Alabama, uh, 50-50. Uh, I'm probably going to pick Alabama because it's at home and uh, – you know, I think they they just keep finding ways to win. So they'll, they'll here again on Saturday. They'll just find a way to win. But that's 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 the toughest one I think by far to right. pick this week. Okay, perfect. So let let's start there then in the West, Steve. This is what I wanted to ask you a moment ago. What happens in the SEC West if Saturday night LSU goes into Tuscaloosa and knocks off Alabama? Does Alabama still win the West or does LSU march on to do it or the wild card of, of all, you know, Ole Miss. I mean, who knows? Alabama could keep losing and maybe Ole Miss is that team. What, what, how do you think this plays out in your mind's eye 
if Alabama loses on Saturday to LSU? I'm preparing myself for the 500 articles that are going to be declaring <laughs> the dynasty is over in Tuscaloosa. Uh, mentally, I'm, I'm preparing myself to see all those. Uh, no, in, in all seriousness, I think if Alabama loses, LSU is going to win the SEC West. I think Ole Miss at Georgia is interesting, but I think LSU rematches against Georgia in the SEC championship game. Mm, okay. And, okay. And, and Brian Kelly Reminds everyone, this is why he came to the SEC to play these big time games against big time opponents, and uh, and sort of go. And I guess it'd be two and zero at that point against Alabama and LSU, which would be quite an accomplishment uh, considering right. where they started at last season against Florida State. All right, so similar question. I realize not nearly as likely, but what happens in the East if Georgia gets upset? and loses to a red-hot Mizzou team in Athens, what happens in that scenario? Georgia would still control its destiny in the East, so you could easily just say, well, I think they'll still win it. Or maybe, I don't know, I I think you can make the argument, Stephen, and I don't think it's a giant leap because you just said it yourself. Georgia winning this weekend is one of your, your most confident selections, as it will be for many people. And I'm not saying that's that's wrong, and I'm not saying people shouldn't have that opinion. But I would argue that if they're losing to Mizzou at home, they could lose to Ole Miss at home, and they could lose at Tennessee. I don't think that's a stretch to say. Now, that's borderline crazy to say they're going to lose all those games. I'm not sitting here saying that. But I, I think you could make the argument this is their least challenging of those three. And But maybe I'm wrong. But... That's a long way of saying, what happens in the East, Stephen, if, if Mizzou wins this game? Does Mizzou go on to win the East? Does Georgia still win it? Does it crack the door open for Tennessee? Uh, I don't know. What What's your thoughts there? All three of those are pretty compelling. I could see any of those um, happening. I, I think if Georgia loses on Saturday, we're going to have to reevaluate everything about Georgia's next couple games because it might be how they lose too. Like if it's a high scoring game and their defense all of a sudden starts bringing leaks and, you know, doesn't play as well, then that's going to change our evaluation for the Ole Miss game. I think two things can be true here. I think to go back to what we said about losing games and how hard it is, it wouldn't shock me if Georgia loses one of those games and and still wins the East. And that's kind of where I am. I still think they're the best team here, but to play the odds, Usually everybody loses a game. And so that that's kind of where I am, that George is the best team. I don't necessarily know the path. Right now, I would pick them to go 12-0. But I still think if they lose on Saturday, they're representing the East in the SEC Championship game. Okay. Well, that's no fun. But all right. <laughs> that, that's a fine answer. But uh, I also wanted to ask you, Stephen, best cases scenarios for a couple teams here. And let's start with Missouri and Sure. I mean, we can sit here and just say, well, they'll just win out. Uh, Best case scenario. That's easy. But you just said, you know, very unlikely. And I I think even the biggest Mizzou fan would would agree that it's probably more likely than not that they'll lose uh, in Athens. But they'll be rooting like hell for the upset, obviously. But what's the best case scenario you think for Mizzou? Because they still got some tough games, Stephen, Tennessee, Florida. I mean, to me, those are like coin toss type games. Arkansas, it's at at Arkansas. They kind of own Arkansas, so maybe that's not quite a coin toss here. But 
What's what's the best case scenario for Missouri uh, at, by the end of the regular season? Is I'm just talking. I think I think that Arkansas game could be dangerous though for Missouri because for two reasons. I think one, if Arkansas wins this weekend, they're fighting potentially for bowl eligibility. They have to get by Auburn, and they might be fighting for Sam Pittman's job. So I would expect a desperate Arkansas team kind of the rest of the way. I think best case scenario though. I think I like Missouri at 10 and two, you know, I I think right now, I think I would take them at home to beat Tennessee and Florida. And I think survive the road game against Arkansas. So I know that's pretty optimistic, but I think all these games outside of Georgia are winnable. So I would say 10 and two at this point. Hmm. Now, how about uh, same thing for Florida? Uh, Just coming off a tough loss. They're knocking on the, on the door of bowl eligibility here. Uh, what what's the best case scenario for the Florida Gators? Well, I know um, what was it about a week ago you said, yeah, I still think they'll finish fifth in the East. So <laughs> maybe what's a path to to doing a little bit better than that? Yeah, I think for starters, I think you know, you look at their schedule. They still have to play LSU, who's a top fifteen team, or could be higher after this week. Florida State likely to to win the ACC or at least be favored to win the ACC in a road trip to Missouri. It's really difficult. Uh, schedule uh, the rest of the way. So I think optimistically, best case, seven and five. I think you take care of business against Arkansas and you pull off an upset in one of those last couple games. Maybe you spoil Florida State season, which would certainly uh, win some goodwill for Billy Napier as we go into the offseason. I think it's tough to expect them to win all you know four of those. I think getting two would be a good uh, finish to the season for Florida. Mm-hmm. And then same thing for Tennessee, Stephen. Two very winnable games with UConn and Vanderbilt. Two incredibly difficult challenges at Missouri and Georgia at home. Is the best case scenario to uh, three and one, or, or what's your thoughts on that? I think three and one. I think if Tennessee should be favored, obviously they're favored against UConn. They should be favored to beat Vanderbilt, and you split the toss-up games. Uh, Toss-up relative, I guess it would be game, you know, at Missouri, would probably be closer to a toss-up than Georgia. If you can pick off one of those, um, maybe call it an upset, then you finish nine and three. Uh, so I, I think three and one, best case scenario for Tennessee in those last four. If Joe Milton plays like we saw against Kentucky and Georgia does not look as good on Saturday, then maybe our thought process could swing a little closer to four and zero oh in Tennessee. Yeah, and then final one I wanted to ask you about in the East, Stephen Kentucky. Dropped three in a row. Doom and gloom here. But, I mean, just like you said, Devin Leary got him going. Had, had we got him going all year, our, our, our record is probably better. Um, and, and all these games down the stretch, maybe not Alabama, but but I can see a path to victory in, in many of them. I could see some losses too, though. So uh, what's best case scenario for Kentucky, you think? I think winning three out of four and finishing eight and four this season. I don't think that's crazy because if it feels like three of those games are toss-ups and they're going to be an underdog against Alabama. It, it does feel like, as, as we're talking, it, it does feel like Kentucky's had games where, like we saw Saturday, Devin Leary was great. The run game wasn't great. Weeks where the run game was great. Devin Leary wasn't like, can they put that all together 
as they go down the stretch. Like that's going to be the key for me is for Kentucky is putting the entire puzzle together because all three of those toss up games are winnable. They've owned the series against Louisville recently, you know, Mississippi state's desperate. South Carolina is going to be desperate. Um, but so should Kentucky at this point of the season too. So I, I feel like if Kentucky plays to its potential, it should win those three games and Alabama would be the only loss. So I'll take eight and four. And I- this just came to me, Stephen. So I hate to catch you off guard with stuff like this, but uh, I'm just playing it out in my mind's eye. Yeah, l- let's just say they lose to Bama because uh, I think that's fair. And I don't know. Let's let's give them the other ones, but I'm not talking Louisville. Could that be rivalry weekend? Most pressure on an SEC coach for Mark Stoops to, to win, to, to get some goodwill, because it's – I realize college football is a little bit different, but the way I've, I always look at these things, Stephen, is this one guy's had 11-year head start <laughs> and the other guy's in year one. And if you're lo- – and, and again, it's different because it's NIL and transfer portal. You can flip it quickly. So maybe that's not quite fair. But if you're losing to Jeff Brom, and this may be his worst roster he, he ever plays with at Louisville – Again, we're not calling for Mark Stoops' job or anything, but I think he's going to hear about it all off season. Unlike any coach in the SEC, if he if he loses that final one, what, what's your thoughts on that? Is there another coach that that needs a win more? You think during that rivalry weekend? I, I would probably say it's. I would agree with you. It's probably Mark Stoops. I think to 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 kind of emphasize what you said there. This, this feels like this is probably going to be. I mean, it, Louisville's sort of like taping things to, I don't know, taping thing like duct tape, holding the roster together. They, they're just, they're just not, you know, you look at some of Jeff Brom's teams at Purdue, they're probably only going to get better from here and they can probably certainly get better at the quarterback position, which is dangerous because that's Jeff Brom's specialty. So yeah, if, if I'm Kentucky, I probably want to get this game, not only for the rivalry, but because of where these two teams are right now, I, I would throw out Shane Beamer too. Because Clemson might be fighting for bowl eligibility in that last game of the season, and if you, if you're South Carolina and you're also five and six and you lose that game to Clemson, I mean Shane Beamer's going to hear about it all off season. You're going to get a very vulnerable uh, Clemson team coming to your place, and it's a game you probably need to win uh, for certainly uh, for rivalry, but could be for bowl purposes. I would I would throw Billy Napier out there too. I mean, I, you know, not trying to throw everybody out there, but. You know, I do think Florida played Florida State tough last year, and if you can win that game and sort of play spoiler, I think that only helps uh, Napier's cause going into the offseason. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, because I, I did want to add, well, I was thinking this, well, I mean, I can only imagine people screaming in the comments, you know, Hugh Freeze would be big for him. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, who's it going to be biggest for, because rivalries, they're so important. And you're right, a bit, Billy Napier's, a, that's a great example but the way I always look at these, Stephen Fair or not, but I look at it like, who have you owned? Who are, who are you better than? Who have you owned? And I think there's there's always pressure, always to to keep it, um, in your favor, so to speak. Can, can Mark Stoops his own Louisville? You can't have that being flipped. Year one under under Brom. Now would. Billy Napier getting a huge win, that would be, that'd be huge for his program over Florida State. But 
Florida fans are not going to throw a fit if they lose the undefeated FSU, even, even if it is in games. They'll be upset, but they're not going to be, you know, you're not seizing con- control. You never had control over Florida State. And, and that's, that's why Shane Beamer was, was an excellent example of this because he, he won last year. So giving it back to a down Clemson, I think that would be a bad look for Beamer. Uh, you know, so so that's kind of where mine's my my head's going, and and that probably would be a bad look for Drake too if they have if they're sitting at nine wins and they lose to Arkansas because they've owned Arkansas. So, but again, I don't think they'll be mad, but I don't think they'll be too mad because we said, well, God, we won nine games. You know what I mean? So that that's just kind of where I'm at. I also think if you're Kentucky, I think if you're sitting there at, you know, you're five and three. And I think expectations this season were probably closer to eight and four, maybe even nine and three at some places. I mean, Kentucky was kind of in that seven to nine win range this preseason. But if you're fighting for bowl eligibility, and it's not, I mean, it's not crazy to think that they might be in a game against Louisville and they lose it, or if they're just six and six and they lost to Louisville, you know. It's not. It's it's certainly not going to 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 put it mildly. It's not going to sit well in in, in Lexington. Uh, considering, I think I think it'd be a disappointment for Kentucky to be six and six. Don't you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I don't know, Steve. I mean, they they seem to be just overjoyed by by eight wins on, on my timeline. So maybe six is not that bad. But uh, yeah, that that'd be awful because I I thought that this was a potentially a nine win team. But to also be passed by Missouri in the East, if if the, if the standings hold up the rest of the way and Missouri finishes ahead of you, and in a year where I mean Kentucky's got its it's landed one of the best transfers at quarterback, has one of the best receiving cores in school history, brought back a coordinator that was excellent two years ago and has been excellent this year. I think that would be a pretty big disappointment, and not to mention you know Tennessee's trending up. Florida's on the right path, we think, under Billy Napier. There'd be a, there'd be a lot of bad, I think, there for Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, and then two more I wanted to ask you about real quick, Stephen, with the best-case scenario. How about Auburn, who, who just got that big win um, for for their trying to reach a bowl game? I mean, any, any of these year one, it, that was their first SEC, where they didn't even have an SEC win. And I was about out on Hugh Freeze after uh, the Ole Miss game. Now, now – I wouldn't say I'm back on a bandwagon, but here's an opportunity. They got to keep that momentum rolling. Best case scenario for Auburn down the stretch, who we we already said it, very winnable games here uh, to close out heading into the Iron Bowl. Yeah, I think two things here. I think number one, the schedule sets up to win three out of four, if nothing else. So I think seven and five, I think is very best case scenario for Auburn here. The second thing though is I think the look test on offense is their growth on that side of the ball. Because I think they're probably going to need to dip into the portal to find another quarterback next year. So that jockey in to start positioning uh, among quarterbacks is going to start up in the next month or so. So I think there's there's got to be a trend line here of going up if you're Auburn. And I certainly think they're on the right track. I think scoring a few more points, winning three of the next four can only help you freeze, try to sell that on the recruiting trail. Now, and A&M was the last one I wanted to ask you about, Stephen, because again... I realize they've fallen short and we're out on Jimbo should already fired him, but we may be sitting here, Steven, they've got all the talent in the world and I get it. They're, they're using their, they're down to their backup quarterback. That's going to be the excuse in the off season of why they brought Jimbo back. But again, they've got a better roster than Ole Miss. 
They don't have a better coach, but uh, they they got a better roster, and they have a comparable roster. I I would probably argue they have a maybe a better roster than LSU too. Now that doesn't mean they're going to win all these games, but they probably should. And and hell, for all the games they've lost that they should have won, maybe it's time they win some that they should have lost. Best case scenario for A and M is there any shot that we go nine and three here? I think there's a shot, but I think it's pretty small. I think maybe best case scenario is eight and four, where you pick off Ole Miss or you pick off LSU. Because like we talked about, they should beat Mississippi State and they should beat Abilene Christian. So at that point, you're sitting there with, you know, with seven wins. And if you can pull off an upset, that certainly only helps uh Jimbo as they go into the offseason. I, I think it's I think it'd be a total disaster if they lost to both Ole Miss and LSU and lost to Mississippi State. I, I think they they're not necessarily don't necessarily need golf Ole Miss or LSU, I think, to to sort of sell improvement there. But I think losing to Mississippi State would be a pretty big setback and finishing six and six probably would not sit very well in college mm-hmm. station. And, and final thing I wanted to ask you about, Stephen, we we talked about Jaden Daniels and you know him potentially get uh taking a big step towards winning the Heisman this weekend in Tuscaloosa. Uh, I mentioned Jalen Milrow perhaps entering that conversation with a big win. Are are there any other players in the SEC? Because to me, Stephen, I don't get me started on the Heisman, but you could be the best player in the country for nine weeks and then you lose to Georgia and all of a sudden you ain't even getting invited. Like I don't I don't understand it. But it seems like is, whoever what, is that is that Hendon Hooker, by the way? <laughs> Who? I, hey, I don't think they ever heard of him in, in New York. You know what? I want to complain about the Heisman voters. The the Brock Powers thing really ticked me off earlier this offseason or the earlier this season. Because, uh, you know, people that have Heisman votes were saying there's no chance that Brock Bowers can win the Heisman Trophy. And I'm sitting here. You are a Heisman voter. You can change this. <laughs> if, if enough of you start voting for Brock Bowers or talking about it or writing about it, we can change this. So anyway, sorry pl- sorry for my mini rant at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's perfect. Because that's kind of right where I'm going, Stephen. It seems like whoever gets hot the last two, three weeks of the season, they say, oh, it's like they don't even watch the damn games. And then they get, you know, who's on TV in November? I'm going to vote for them. But is there anybody that maybe, and maybe this is not possible, but it, it just seems like, it seems like they have four or five, six guys on their list. And then they just knock them off as they lose, which I think is a foolish way to do it. But if, who knows, maybe, you know, if some of these like a Jane LSU losing is is conceivable. Uh, you know, those schools in the Pac-12, they all lose. They're all going to lose. So I, let's write all them off. Are there guys in the SEC, and, and I'm thinking, I got two in my mind, Stephen, I, I think you'll agree with one of these certainly, but two, that if, if they get hot, their teams win and surprise. And, and I'm looking at Carson Beck, who's been, he's heating up. As long as Georgia keeps winning, they, they're going to have someone in the conversation. And Jackson Dart, if, big if, you know, they knock off Georgia, I mean, I, I think someone on that Ole Miss team is going to get some love. Thoughts on those two? And, and is if there's anybody else that, even if it's, uh, you know, an outside shot that could kind of sneak into the conversation by uh, uh, conference championship weekend. Yeah, the, the three long shots that I wrote down were – Jackson Dart, Quinshot Judkins, and Jalen Milrow. And I think 
the guy that should be getting more consideration is Carson Beck because I think he's gotten a lot better from game one to Saturday when they played Florida. But it's not only that, like just passes the look test with in the in the stats test, like everything that people who voted the Heisman Trophy Award need to see. I think Carson Beck has has passed that test. The only thing that may hurt him is that he may not be needed in some of these fourth quarters uh, to pile up stats, like you know some of the other quarterbacks have uh, or and have done this season. So I think if I was looking for value in the Heisman Trophy race, Carson Beck would be at the top of my list with Dart. Judkins and Milrow sort of in that dark horse category with everyone sort of chasing Jane Daniels within the SEC right now. Mm-hmm. Well, as Stephen really appreciated the conversation went a little long here, so I apologize for that. But uh, before you go, can you tell the audience where can they find your work and where can they give you a follow? Absolutely. So you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Athlon Steven. Uh, we uh, also please uh, subscribe to my YouTube page. It's all CFB three six five, and check us out on the Cover Two podcast every week up at Athlon Sports. We come out on Wednesdays. We preview the week uh, from the SEC to the Pac twelve to the ACC, every conference in college football. So Cover Two podcast over at Athlon Sports. And if you're so inclined, one more uh, Stephen L CFB on TikTok, Facebook and uh, Instagram. All right. So as always, just want to say thanks again, Stephen, for joining the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, that's going to be the first of several guests we have this weekend on the show. Going to reach out to a lot of people, including hopefully get some a first timer that I've wanted to have on for a long time to preview these big matchups in the SEC. Be on the lookout for that all week long, but that's going to do it. And Cousin Shane, of course, will be back on the next episode to do a deep dive preview on some of these games. So uh, can't wait for that. But uh, we do appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.